Hey gangers, welcome to or welcome back to Immature. Today we're going to be talking about foster care with Mr. Ian Forber Pride. He is a social worker who specializes in foster care and child welfare. Let's go right into it. Hi, I'm Gianna. I'm Shira. I'm Cassidy. And I'm Samir, and you're listening to Immature. So, as Shira said earlier, today we have a super special guest, Mr. Ian Forber Pratt, and we're going to be talking about the foster care system with him. And um, we are so thankful for 1.2K. Thank you guys so much for all of that. And also, for some reason, this episode, um, my like my mic or whatever, it just wasn't sounding too good and I'm really sorry about that but there's nothing we can do now because we already recorded the episode but anyways um let's jump right into the questions can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your story uh of course I can and first of all I'm so grateful to be here and chat with you guys uh my hope is that parts of my story will kind of merge with experiences that many listeners are having. And even though I'm much older, uh, hopefully people can be like, oh my gosh, somebody else has gone through that. Um, So I was born in India, but on day one, I was uh, abandoned or left in a nursing home or a little hospital uh, by my mother, who I don't know at all. Um, And it was a place where unwed mothers would go and have babies. And so I lived in India for a very short amount of time and was in uh, a big, big orphanage for really premature babies. And then I was adopted by an American family outside of Boston. So I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I didn't remember anything about India. And so I was a brown kid in a very white school, just trying to figure out how to fit in, trying to be popular. I don't know if I was. Um, But just trying to figure it all out and navigate life. Um, And my family was kind of interesting because I was the oldest. Then my sister Anjali was adopted from India, the same place. But when she came over, she had a disability and was in a wheelchair all of her life. Mm -hmm. And she's an incredible young woman. But then we had two brown kids, one in a wheelchair. And then my parents had two biological children, they're white. So there's four of us total, two brown kids, two white kids, disability in the family. And so especially in the time when I was growing up, uh, our family was definitely unique, so to speak. Um, And we got lots of questions. So I struggled with identity quite a bit. And in high school, I went into some depression. And I've listened to your guys' podcasts about really important issues. And even I could relate to all those questions that lots of people have about how do I fit in, how do I belong? Because I always felt in the middle of everything. And so unfortunately, I turned to some pot smoking and some drinking, and that lasts for a long time in my life. Um, But the great thing was that I was not a bad person. And I think it's really important for people to realize sometimes, even when you're having a dark time in life, it's not that you're a bad person it's that you've got to figure some stuff out and hopefully you can reach out to people for help and I got lucky after a number of years there were a number of people that were able to help me and I can always talk more about this at any point 
Um, but I realized that I wanted to be doing good and I wanted to help children because I was adopted from India. I believed I wanted to help children that were in foster care or adoption and different things like that. And so I'll go on with the rest of my story as we continue. But basically, once I stopped drinking and smoking, I ended up in St. Louis where I went to Washington University and I focused on working in the foster care field. And I did my master's in social work. And oh. I worked with young pregnant teenagers who had some sort of mental challenge or difficulty in some way or another. So like, you know, a 13 or 14 year old who's eight months pregnant and functioning at a kindergarten level. Hmm. And it was incredible working with that population. Um, and I, it, it got into my heart very much that I wanted to try to be a voice for those people that don't have a voice. Wow. And yeah. And so I guess I'll give you the quick brief of everything. So then like I decided, okay, I love America. I'm doing great work here, but I want to give back to India, the country that gave me life. And so I had this huge idea to do a Google search to see what was going on in regard to foster care in India. Can any of you guys guess what came back from that search? Probably not a whole lot. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. The only thing that came back was how to adopt a dog or a cat. Oh, wow. oh my goodness. So they had fostering for animals, but nothing else. And do you guys know what foster care is, the concept? Because some people do, but others are not quite. Isn't sure. it like when um, a child is, switches between like different households throughout like a year with different people? Until they get adopted? Yeah. Right. And, 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 and that breaks my heart that that's the definition you have, and it's not wrong at all. But the point of foster care <laughs> is that children are supposed to be with a family that's not related to them until they can get to permanency. And permanency means either going back with their family, if it's safe for them, or being adopted. Foster care was not meant that children go from house to house to house because that's a horrible way to live. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's the way our system has become. Oh, that sucks. That's really sad. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, guys, like you have people in your school, probably in your network, whether you know or you don't know, who have had the trauma of having to bond with a family and then having to leave. And then a new family. That's terrible. And then having to leave. That must and it it's devastating to them. Yeah. yeah. I bet. I can imagine. I can't imagine having to bond with a person that immediately leaves them there. I wouldn't be able to bond yeah. with anyone then because I yeah. be permanent. That, like I understand why so many people have like mental disabilities and all different kinds of stuff like that. That's just terrible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. You guys are so right. So like think about it this way, right? So if you make a relationship, say you're not allowed to be with your family for whatever reason. It's not safe for you. And you move in with a new family and you put your heart on your sleeve where you're just like, I'm here, I'm going to try. It's been a really traumatic time. You're with them. And then all of a sudden, you just pack up a bag of clothes and you're gone to a next family. Yeah, That's terrible. It's like your life and after that case. happens, right. And like after that happens one or two times, you're just like, forget this. Like, it's just like with relationships, right? Like, if you have a relationship with someone 
and they hurt you really badly, it's kind of tough to trust again. And hopefully you do, right? Yeah. Like, if you've gone to family after family, eventually in life, you're just like, it is not worth it to trust people. Yeah, for Because you really think that you bonded with them and they're going to take you in and then you move to a different family. Like, that's horrible. I could never imagine doing that. So I have a question. So why, why do, why are kids put into foster foster care in the first place? So because there has some, something has gone down in their family. So a couple examples would be there's drug abuse in the family and the child was subjected to violence. It could be neglect, for example, that kid, especially like a young kid. Some of this stuff is heartbreaking, right? Like imagine a two-year-old kid getting one meal or less a day. Oh, my. that's oh, terrible. Yeah. And guys, that's happening right now in the U.S. right around here. Even uh, I live in West County in St. Louis, right? Mm-hmm. Even in West County, there are places, especially due to COVID-19 and people being in their houses a lot and everything. There are kids right now that are getting one meal a day. Yeah, That is heartbreaking. That is hard- right. Yeah, that's terrible. So, and uh, so what will happen, Samir, to answer your question is that somebody will call, right? So like maybe a neighbor or especially a school counselor, a doctor, whatever, somebody will call a hotline and basically say, we are worried about this kid. And mm-hmm. then there'll be an investigation. And if they determine the investigation's done by social workers, and if they determine that that kid is not safe in the home, that child then will come into foster care and there are foster families that are licensed and kind of vetted to make sure they're not going to abuse the kids that would then take the child in. Okay. Oh, that, that seems so heartbreaking because you had to have a pretty screwed up upbringing to even be put into foster care in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so what I did is I realized that foster care was in many ways broken in the U.S. because kids are, you know, you just hear horror story after horror story. So when I went to India, when I had this idea, I want to start a foster care system in India, I said, I want to do something that learns from all these broken things in the U.S. And so what I did is I literally did that Google search. I found out there was nothing except how to adopt a dog or cat. And... I Craigslisted everything I had and moved to India with three bags of clothes and the dream to start a foster care system. Wow. Oh, that is... That must have taken a lot of bravery. Yeah. 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 Honestly, if I actually knew what I was doing, I probably wouldn't have gone so, like, (laughs) you know, feet first. But I really did. And it was amazing. I bought a motorcycle the first day I got to India. And I started trying to figure out how do I open an organization? How do I raise money? And how do I change the way that people take care of children? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, that really um, hits pretty that, close to home because uh, yeah. me and Shira, we are Indians. And I went to India a couple of years ago and I just saw that kind of like neglect yeah. and that kind of just really scary That's things going horrible. on. That's something like they never show in movies or anything like that. And yeah, it's not publicized that yeah. often. It's like neglected in the news and the media. Yeah. Um, so, yep, you're totally right. And it's it's real stuff. And that's why I was so kind of almost moved to tears that you guys were doing this because 
the mainstream of America has no idea what's going on right now in 2020 in regard to kids that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, my my grandfather, he's also a social worker, and he moved to Belize in his early 20s to help kids get education down there. So um, uh-huh. hearing you do this is just so incredible, and that really makes me so happy that you're trying to make foster care better. Yeah. Well, thank you. So the 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 interesting thing that happened was I because a lot of people ask me, like, if they have a, an idea of how they want to change the world or do better in the world, how can they? And I did something pretty extreme, right? Like I sold everything and moved to India. Yeah. And that was my journey. But there are so many things that people can do even during a busy schedule in order to give back. And I hope that we talk about a couple of those things, maybe a little bit later on. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to tell you a little bit. So here's the really interesting thing. So I moved to India. I started this organization I called foster care India. I got funded by UNICEF, which was really cool. Wow. Um, but that's pretty, but awesome. there were no laws in India for foster care. So I then said, all right, well, what I never realized is without having laws in the U.S., we at least have laws. Now, we might not agree with all of them, but at least we've got some pretty clear laws. Yeah. And in India, there was nothing in regard to foster care being put into practice. So I went to the government. I was in the state called Rajasthan. And I went to the government and I said, hi, my name's Ian. I'd like to write a law on foster care. Any thoughts of what they said to me? They were like, definitely not. (laughs) And who are you? And you're not from here. And what are you doing? Wow. Yeah. And so I said, well, that's your opinion. Um, I'm going to play Angry Birds on my phone (laughs) and then can't uh, like all kinds of different games and wait until you say yes. Wow. So for four years, I worked on the ground just building up a foster care system. I hired local people who spoke only Hindi. I learned Hindi because I didn't know it. And I was just lucky enough to build up an argument so that four years later, I went to them and I said, hey, remember me, Ian? Um, I'd like to write a law on foster care. And they said, okie dokie. Wow. Is that your like moment and of like comeuppance? Yeah. <laughs> comeuppance? It's a word. <laughs> so, so you... And then I elevated the comeuppance um, <laughs> to go to the national level. Um, to a woman named uh, Menka Gandhi, who ran the National Women and Child Development Ministry. They're the ones in charge of children. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, India's got all these problems and it's heartbreaking. I'd like to work on foster care laws for the country. And she said, yes. And we passed them in 2015, the first foster care guidelines for the country. That's amazing. So you you went from like being... At, at a nursing home and having to move to America and having all these bad things happen to you, and you went from that to the to helping those kids that you don't want to you you didn't want them to, to go through all that that you went through, and you ended up helping yeah. them. That's so cool. Enough that must so have taken cool. so much bravery and so much courage. Yeah, it just shows like how how there can be good in the world, even though something bad happens. You can make yeah. the outcome good. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's something really cool that's happening in the social work field. But in general, people are realizing how much lived experience is important. So basically what that means is the tough stuff you've gone through 
actually gives you strength and the ability to help others who are going through that thing. Yeah. I'm sure you have and a lot of, of times in the past, right? Like, and a lot of times in the past, we shied away from that where we'd be like, oh, we went through that tough point in life where, you know, you were being bullied or you were worried about your weight or you were upset about this thing or that thing. But really, those things strengthen you and allow you to give back to others. Because if I talk to somebody who's adopted, for example, we already have the same language. Say, for example, you've struggled with an eating disorder, you've struggled with depression. When you talk to somebody who has that same thing, you immediately have a trust level that's built. That's yeah. So we did kind of spend half of the episode on that one question. So I think we should move on to the next one. Yeah. So um, how do you make the kid feel welcome? Because we know at this age, it must be hard to cope and like just kind of transition into this new way of life. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is actually really simple. It's being honest. So a lot of times we try to sugarcoat it. Now, you have to be age appropriate. You're not going to tell a three-year-old or a four-year-old or a five-year-old this horrible thing just happened. Yeah. But kids understand when someone is trying to BS them. I'm sure you all understand when someone's being fake to you or someone's yeah. being real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you make feel kids, kids feel safe and welcome when your door is open and you say, I know you just came from a horrible situation. I'm not going to do it perfectly as a foster parent, but I am going to try my hardest and let's chat whenever something isn't feeling right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that um, just like in general, being open to really anybody is just so great. Cause, but in particular kids who've been through the foster care system, cause that's just so important to be like, I'm here with open arms for you whenever you need me. Like, I'm always going to be here. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, that like whole phrase is that, that being like, I'm open and I'm ready and I'm ready to talk to you if you ever need to. I feel yeah. like that, that's going to comfort them a lot because yeah. like, I feel like that, that comforts me a lot too. So yeah, that yeah. you could be that person that they rely on because everything else in their life is changing. You being there isn't going to change. I think that's, yeah, I think that's yeah. Right. you could be the constant yeah. in their lives. Yeah, yeah. But okay, so should we move on to the next question? Yeah. yeah. Um. So we know you have the same background as some of these kids. Does that like kind of affect the way you deal with them, or the way you help them, or? I don't know. The way you look at their situations. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it allows me to empathize very easily. But the other thing is it allows them to trust me very quickly. So it's what I was talking about before that lived experience piece. Yeah. But I wanted to say something. It's also okay if you don't have them. So you guys were talking about just being there for somebody and saying my doors open. It's just that you own, you can own and say, I have never experienced foster care, but I am ready to be egoless, patient, and empathize with you. I may never fully get it, but I'm here for you. That reminds me of um, our last episode with the Black Lives Matter movement. We touched on that subject, how we'll never know what it's like to be African-American, but um, we can always empathize with them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep, I listened to that whole episode and you all did such a beautiful job. And that is, this lesson is something you can transcend to any experience. Yeah. Is that if you're honest and say, I'm never going to fully get it, but I am sitting in this space with you right now, that's unbelievably healing for anyone. Mm -hmm. For sure. Okay, uh, what's the next question? I think, Cassie, you're going to ask that one? Oh, uh, do you yeah. <laughs> I do. Okay, just say it. Um, so what are some of the obstacles that you faced to get to your, um, like, where you are today as a foster care person? <laughs> yes, very beautifully put. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, this one might might surprise you guys a lot. So basically, when I started doing foster care in India and I started getting somewhat successful, there were orphanage directors that were doing child trafficking and bad stuff. So basically, That's they were making money wow. off of, you know, getting children from mothers and then sending them in international adoption or doing bad things. That's horrible. So, like it's it's just I just can't even wrap my mind around it, but it's happening a lot. So unfortunately, I had just well, fortunately, I had just gotten married. And after getting married, we started getting death threats from these people because in starting a foster care system, we were reducing the amount of children in these orphanages. And so they started threatening our lives. And I started getting lots and lots of different types of. Uh, promises to attack me. That got to be scary. Wow. Did they know? Did, did they know where you live? Did they know like uh, your address and your, like your name of your wife and your children if you had any? Like, did they know all of that? Yes, because I was in a small town at the time. So we actually overnight had to pack up and we moved up to Delhi, the capital of India, oh. in, so that we could blend in. All right. So oh, wow. I mean, yeah, Delhi does have a lot of people, so it's probably going to be easy to blend in there. But can you imagine that? Like you hear about like like maybe in a, in a book or in a movie of someone getting death threats, but like it legit happened. I wonder like, how how did yeah, that feel for that's... you? Were you like really scared for your life? Yeah, I mean, no doubt. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. But I was more I didn't really care, care that much about myself. I was worried about my wife, and then we had our little Zane, our son, and then worried about him. So that was where my worry was. Uh huh. Yeah, that's, so, that's wow. <laughs> so you move. I mean, I can't even comprehend how people can just do things like that to kids I can, and yeah, threaten yeah. people's lives. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. So in in a way, when you when you had to pack up and move from that small town straight to Delhi, you were like, you know, you were you were basically kind of like in a foster care situation because you had to leave immediately pack up your things and just say goodbye to all those people that you probably met and all friends that you oh, made. yeah yeah so what a brilliant insight you know i've been doing this for so many years and nobody has ever said that what an what an interesting thing yeah. <laughs> okay uh so last question uh if you feel comfortable doing so can you give us a story of a real life teenager or kid who you helped yeah, I, I most definitely can. I actually spoke to this young person just to make sure it was okay. Um, I'm not identifying information because a big thing about foster care is that we always respect the person in foster care's ability to share their own story. 
So yeah. I'm sharing the story anonymously, but I have her permission. Okay, good. So the young lady that I met when I met her was 15 years old and had just given birth to her second child. Really? Wow. Just wow. like sit with that, sit with that for a minute. Like 15, <laughs> given birth that to her second child. Oh my so God. Yeah. And she was in a St. Louis courtroom screaming at the judge and being hauled away by the police. Oh, my oh God. that's heartbreaking. That's terrible. Now, as you all could think, I think a lot of people would be really thrown off and probably even judge her and just be like, you know what? That girl's messed up. And, and, and really, they might assume that it's hopeless. But I had been taught that nobody is hopeless. And so I was assigned her case to work with her. And I realized her mother had been an addict. Her mother's mother had been an addict. So a lot of it was not her fault. She had run into a pattern of things she had seen. And what she needed to do was see consistency and see good examples. Yeah. So, So she and I worked together over a year to develop hope, trust, stability. And because I knew I wasn't going to be in her life forever, that's another really important piece. When you know you're not going to be in someone's life forever, never pretend you're going to be because it hurts more. But we, I helped her develop relationships around her that would be forever. And I found family members that were stable. I found an old coach that she used to work with who she'd lost touch with. Today, she is working, has a fiance, has five children. The children are healthy and happy and well-adjusted. And she is doing unbelievably well. She just did a driving trip to Florida with her fiance and her kids to the beach. Wow. So, so if, if you hadn't have been there, she would have probably fallen into that same pattern as her mom and her mom's mom. Yeah. Maybe even her kids would have the same yeah. fate. Yeah. I just think, oh I just sorry I just think it's so cool that even if you like just showing a little bit of compassion and helping someone can make such a big difference in their lives and I just just thought that was so cool yeah yeah, yeah you really are I think, doing I think cool. examples are everything having good examples around you doing yeah, great sure. things just makes it so much easier. And when you don't grow up in that kind of environment, it really affects everything you do. And I, that's just horrible because I think yeah. we're all so lucky that we have great examples, but not a lot of kids are as lucky as we are. Yeah. And yeah. if, if so one of your... surprise people how many habits or characteristics we take on after our parents. So it's really important for us to have good examples and yeah. for them to be good examples for us. Uh, if at least not at home, then at school or a workplace or wherever yeah, you, totally. you, need, you need a person that you can trust and talk to. That sets an example. And for you, you can look up to. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. And I bet that you, um, Mr. Forber Pat, have been that good example for a lot of little kids that you've helped. Oh well, thank you. I mean, it's it it's not about me. You know, the idea is that. I've just been given so much good in my life and I've struggled too. I mean, you've heard in this, this small amount of time that I've struggled as well, but like with the good that I've been given, I just do my best to radiate that out and then empower others to do the same. And that's, I think 
especially, gosh, these tough times with COVID-19 and with, you know, Black Lives Matter and just this institutional racism, we see everything. There has to be some buoyancy of hope and examples. And I believe that that you four are being that hope and example. And I think that if you inspire other people to do the same, then you're making a huge impact on the world. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. That really means a lot. That means so much to us. So I just have a quick question. You talked earlier, you said that we, even as just like people could do something to give back to these kids. Is there like anything that we can do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is to learn wherever you are. Like, so if it's St. Louis, for example, you learn what organizations are doing and just reach out to them and ask, is there any volunteering you can do? Is there like a clothing drive? For example, if you're giving away some of your clothes and you just threw them away or did something, could you give them to children that are in foster care? And then kind of getting your friends together just to understand more. So things like this podcast, et cetera, those are things you can do. Because I want to be very honest, like when you're in middle school and you're in high school and you're in college, your job is to get well educated. And you've got that privilege to get well educated. So you don't have 24-7 you can give. But you do have the ability to take that privilege around you and organize it and conduit towards the people that are working in the field. And that in and of itself is a monumental contribution. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so when you, when you're doing this work, do you, um, like, are there ways we can, so are there ways we can um, tell other people to do these things? If it's cause you're really just telling us and the people watching this episode right now, what are some ways to um, spread lots of awareness uh, with lots of people? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we the could first... always... oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you can go ahead. Oh, um, I was just saying you talk about it like we don't mm. talk about this stuff enough. You learn about some children's, you know, lives and you learn about people who are not as well off as yourself. And you just share those things and definitely not in a pity party type of, oh, look down on those people, but elevating and saying these people deserve everything we have and how can we work to be more equitable? Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that like, um, like obvious, I don't think really any of us knew a lot about it. Like, I feel like I learned so much just in this like 30-ish minutes talking to you. And I don't think that a lot of people are getting this information because I know for sure I haven't been, I did not know about this. I didn't really know that it was just broken. You hear about stories once in a while, but you never hear this much. And obviously not everyone can adopt a kid right now, especially because a lot of our viewers are like around our age. So teenagers. So just getting the word out, even though you're young is for sure important. Uh, so thank you so much for answering these questions. You you really uh, enlightened us on some topics, and you're doing some of yeah, the yeah. work out there. Uh, you so, yeah. really just taught us so much. I look up to you now for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so to to cool. the people watching this episode, uh, do what he says. Spread some awareness about this because it's been wildly underappreciated in the news and the mainstream media. So be sure to do all of that stuff that he told you to do. But yeah, thank you so much for all of this. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. Seriously. All right. Thank you. Guys. Keep doing what you're doing, and I'm with you. Yeah, that's Thank good. you. That's good.
Okay, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Um, it was really an incredible experience to be able to talk to Mr. Ian Forber Pratt. And if you guys have any suggestions for any other episodes, then feel free to leave us a voice memo at anchor.fm slash immature podcast, or you can DM us at immature podcast. Um, yeah, but have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you.